Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Namaste, Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, here to welcome you back. We know it's been a few weeks since we have released episodes, but you should know that not a single day passes where we are not thinking about you. We bring you only the best of the best yogis who have taken on the mission of transmitting the purest essence of yoga. I am recording this intro to you from Vietnam as I travel through Asia for six months. This interview was recorded in Bangalore, India, when I lived with my teacher, Eddie Modestini, for two months. Him and I studied with Sri H.S. Arun, who you will hear on the following episode of Yoga Revealed in a week or two. This is Eddie's second episode on our podcast, so be sure to listen to his first one if you haven't already. I have never met someone like Eddie, and the moment I did, I immediately felt I found my teacher. And I'm excited to share his wisdom with you on the podcast today. Whatever motivates you to come to yoga. Some people start yoga because they want to stop smoking cigarettes. Some people start yoga because they want a girlfriend. Some people start yoga because they want a boyfriend. Some people start yoga because they want to find God. Mm. It doesn't really matter what brings you to yoga. But yoga works. Enjoy this episode. It's filled with dozens of golden gems for you to take into your study of yoga. Namaste, Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you back to studying and learning about this practice. I am coming to you from southern India in Bangalore, and I'm sitting across from a man who has been holding a very large-scaled body mirror up in front of me for me to see myself more clearly into who I'm becoming through this practice of yoga. Eddie Modestini, who I met in June of 2015 at Hanuman Festival. And he invited me to come here to India with him and study the subject of yoga. And we have studied with two great teachers and named Arun and one of his old teachers who's still influencing him, Manuso Manos. And it's, uh, it's been a profound practice to live with Eddie, to study the subject of yoga, and to live life. Eddie, thank you for being on the podcast here for the second time. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, delighted. So for those who don't know Eddie's story, I definitely suggest you to scroll back down on Yoga Revealed podcast and listen to his first interview where he dives into how he came to yoga. Um, So with that said, we're going to just jump right in. So Eddie, you spent years, which you'll dive into, developing what you called Maya Yoga. Can you talk about that and kind of discuss how that came to be and where that transformed to? Well, well, I went into detail about how I uh, started yoga. I definitely had uh, a lot of pain. I had a lot of emotional pain in my life and I had a lot of physical pain. I slipped two discs and I was looking for relief. When I went to the doctors, they told me I needed surgery and I didn't want surgery. I had had my left kidney removed when I was young and it was very traumatic and I didn't want to do surgery again so I tried to heal myself and I took the path of yoga to do that. So I studied um, my Angar yoga for the first eight years and then I got flexible enough actually and strong enough to start practicing Ashtanga yoga. Um, I practiced Ashtanga Yoga for the next 15 years. So about 25 years uh, came before Maya Yoga evolved. So first I learned a lot about the poses, the alignment, uh, different sequences to practice the poses, different ways to open my body. And then I started studying with Patabi Joyce I studied with Mr. Iyengar for eight years, and I started studying with Patabi Joyce, and um, I learned the sequences of Ashtanga Yoga. He authorized me to teach first and second series, and then my ex-wife got pregnant, and it was time to have children, and I was very, I had been pushed to a level of flexibility that made my back once again vulnerable. And I really wanted to carry my children. I wanted to father my children. And I found I couldn't even pick up a suitcase at that point. So I started changing my practice from putting my legs behind my back and doing all these extreme arm balances to doing something that was more nurturing of my physical being and allowed me to interact with the world more than just delve into the practice of yoga. Mm. So um, I was teaching at that point and many people from Maui had been doing quite a vigorous practice for many years, and some of them were getting up in years. They were getting older. And they started coming to my studio, and I was faced with all these injuries. And people wanted to alleviate these injuries. So that's the way Maya Yoga really evolved. It, I started addressing people's needs more than just following a sequence for everybody, it started to become more personal. 
What do you do with this person's knee? What do you do with this person's back? How do you help somebody that's got stress in their neck? How do you deal with a broken body more than how do you present a sequence of postures? So we, I started really emphasizing the standing poses as a means to address all these injuries. And it really started working. And that's how Maya Yoga evolved. It is a vinyasa system, but it has a lot more to do with how to create a healthy body than anything else. Mm. Um, so from there, uh, it just continued to evolve in the direction of health. So I think that's a great segue into a project that you took on, I think that's what you called it, uh, Vinyasa 101. Well, Yoga Journal uh, magazine asked me, they, they see what's happening in modern yoga. And what is happening in modern yoga? Well, what's happening in modern yoga is that Vinyasa yoga is probably the most popular yoga out there in the world today. I think more people are practicing a vinyasa type of yoga than anything else. And in modern yoga, it's become in vogue to create new poses, to do more fancy asanas, to do to go to the edge, to bring people to their edge as quickly as you can. It's a fast-paced system. There's a lot of room for creativity. But with that, they're seeing a lot more injuries. People are hurting their back more. People are putting pressure on their wrists. You see it very common for somebody to walk into a yoga class with wrist braces on, with ankle braces with a knee brace and that makes me uncomfortable because yoga isn't a means for injuring yourself yoga is a means for healing yourself and I kind of have that reputation so Yoga Journal has invited me to author what they call Vinyasa 101 it's um, more or less a means for protecting yourself in vinyasa yoga, avoiding injury in vinyasa yoga, and actually using vinyasa yoga to heal any injuries that are present. It's turning the, the focus from a sequence of poses to yourself, to what do I need, and how can I sequence poses in a flow system so I can care for myself. So that's basically what Vinyasa 101 is about. I detail, um, <clears throat> I detail how to practice in a Vinyasa system if you have stiff hips. How to practice in a Vinyasa yoga system if there's too much pressure on your wrists. How do you practice Vinyasa yoga if you, have comp if you have compromise in your knee joint, in your ankle joint, in your hips, in your shoulder, in your elbow, 
all the different parts in a vinyasa yoga system that can take pressure just by following a prescribed system of yoga. You know, it's funny, the Krishnamacharya is the teacher of both of my teachers, BKS Iyengar and Patabi Joyce. And the people that I study with now have either studied with BKS Iyengar or Patabi Joyce. And so all of this yoga comes from Krishnamacharya. He says you teach individuals, but both systems have gotten focused on sequences of postures. Postures have become the thing that we study, not people. And I'm turning the clock back to his approach where we have to make the postures applicable to the individual. We have to make the postures applicable to the person that's practicing them. Not just do postures for posture's sake, but do postures that are appropriate for you with what you're dealing with in your life. Mm. So it's really working with not only our physical body, but also our, our own patterns, habitual patterns. All of it, our mind, our heart, our body, they're all part of the same thing. You know, the, the mind possesses a tremendous amount of fire. The body is dense. It encapsulates the water. There are a lot of elements that are involved in this practice. The, the breathing takes the practice of the body. That's the place that we are. And it takes water and it mixes with fire, and fire and water don't really mix very well together. But if, they, if you can find a means for fire and water to mix, which happens in the breath, you can create a tremendous amount of energy, like in hydroelectric power. Mm. There's a tremendous amount of energy, and we use the breath as a means to do that. You know, in vinyasa yoga, you mix breath and movement. And in that mixing of breath and movement, you can create residual energy. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. That's why vinyasa yoga is so popular. Because where can you buy energy? You know, we can use substitutes to get energy. People drink caffeine. There's a lot of ways to substitute energy. But if you could buy pure energy, I think it would be very, very valuable. And so, in a way, people are really pursuing vinyasa yoga to see if they could cultivate that energy. Mm. So, how does yoga work for you? Well, it's, it's gone through many different cycles. First, for me, it was therapeutic. I started very broken. I started very stiff and very weak. So the approach was, first, what does this body, mind, heart need for a healing? It was very slow, tedious, meticulous, and I learned, you might say, 
20 poses in the beginning and I focused on three in my personal practice, it's very small. Now I know about 100, 150 poses and I might practice 25 in a day. <clears throat> so it's very different. It's, it's transmuted. It's created its own life. I'm not in pain anymore. I don't use yoga for therapy. You might say I'm pretty much healed of the physical afflictions that were manifest in my experience as well as the mental and emotional afflictions. You know, not that things don't surface. I don't have what we call vrittis, mm. which are reactions to circumstances, but I have a means to deal with that reaction, if not the ability to prevent that reaction sometimes. Mm. You know, I was, in a, I, I was in a jewelry store today and I asked the jeweler to, I don't have the, I don't have my shop with me. So my chain that I made broke. I asked the jeweler to repair it for me and he, we don't speak the same language. So he, he took it from me and started cutting it up. And, you know, 10 years ago, I would have flipped my lid. <laughs> but... I very politely said, can I have that back? And then his boss saw it and wanted to tell the senior boss what had happened. And I stepped in and said, you know what? Let's not get this guy in trouble. I could fix this in my own shop at home. It's no problem. Where five, ten years ago, I would have reacted quite differently. And so I'm pleased about that, to see that progress in my own experience. And to say, wow, yoga has had an effect on me. It's landed in a big way. Because the way, the way that happens is we do a pose and stuff starts bubbling up mm. from inside our being. And it's very real. Whether it's joy or anger or many things that bubble up from our practice we have the opportunity to work with it. And so doing the asanas has really taught me how to be a person, be a better person as I'm interacting with other people in the world. Mm. It's been really, it's been a great, wow. great blessing for me and a great tool. And so, you know, Vinyasa, just to get back to Vinyasa 101, now Yoga Journal offers this video educational program on their website where people can take, if they practice Vinyasa 101 and they love, excuse me, if they take Vinyasa 101 because they practice Vinyasa Yoga and have found blocks in Vinyasa Yoga, have questions about Vinyasa Yoga, it's a tremendous resource to make Vinyasa Yoga more creative for students and teachers alike. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely be able to include the link to Vinyasa 101 in the blog post. That's, That's great. Awesome. Thank you. Totally. So, segueing even further, so I wanted to talk about how yoga is a spiritual path, but here in India, 
I find that the the following of a spiritual path is deeply rooted in tradition, whereas perhaps in modern day where we're coming from in, in the States, a spiritual path, it's rooted in something different. And I think that they have a little bit of a different relationship of how they're approached. However, the end result might be somewhat of a similar facet of what, of, of what we're seeking. How is yoga a spiritual path for a majority of people that are practicing vinyasa yoga, for instance? Or perhaps how Arun, our teacher in India, how is yoga a spiritual path for him? And where can we seek spirit within yoga? Well, spirit is within yoga. You, you can't separate them. You know, even if you come to yoga, whatever motivates you to come to yoga. Some people start yoga because they want to stop smoking cigarettes. Some people start yoga because they want a girlfriend. Some people start yoga because they want a boyfriend. Some people start yoga because they want to find God. Mm. It doesn't really matter what brings you to yoga. But yoga works. And it doesn't matter what system of yoga you use. That's why there's so many different approaches to yoga. Because if you get on the mat, even if you don't use a mat, if you just go into your room and start exploring the postures, because yoga focalizes the mind, and it merges the mind and the body and the breath. That concentration brings us the ability to drop in, so to speak, to, to become absorbed with what we're doing. And when you become absorbed with what you're doing, evolution takes place. You start to evolve. It, it's the way the lens of your being is polished. You start to see things differently because the seer is changed. It's not like you change your perspective, but the person that's looking actually goes through a process where they start to see life differently because they've changed. Yoga has transformed the seer. Mm. It doesn't just transform the way you see things, it transforms the seer itself. Mm. So it's a magnificent process. And whether you're doing Bikram, Anusara, Iyengar, Ashtanga, Moksha, look at all the names that I can come up with. Each one of these has, each one of these systems has different rules. They have different guidelines. There's a different approach. There's sometimes the same poses, but sometimes very different poses. But it all works. And I think that's wonderful. That's why I haven't been able or willing to join any system 
And that's why I support all systems of yoga. Because all yoga works. Mm. It's really cool. I love that. When you were talking about the seer, maybe you realized you just went through the third sutra. You were talking about the seer and how we're coming back to this true nature. That is the third sutra that you and I are learning, which is pretty cool because that is the nature of how the sutras were taught. They're just taught in Sanskrit and chanting and through chanting over and over in some way, they're retained, which is what we're learning. Well, it's, it's interesting. It, in, when you chant, it's a breathing practice. It's a mind-focalizing practice, and it's a breathing practice. Even though you might not be moving the body in an asana, it is a form of pranayama, because you take an inhalation, right. and then you chant the entire sutra. And you have to grip, so to speak, the breath, so that the exhalation lasts and you have the power to recite this whole sutra through the time. And some sutras are very short and some sutras, as you know, are very long. And they become increasingly more difficult as the padas continue. Yes. You know, we're just halfway through the Samadhi Pada and we've already hit some sutras that are... A mouthful. Like 15... <laughs> different words. words and maybe 30 different syllables or 45 different syllables mm -hmm. and that you have one breath to say that in. Yeah. and it's it can be challenging <laughs> so while we're on the topic of pranayama why should we practice pranayama well you know yoga is a tiered system mm. it's a, a system that develops slowly. Asana prepares one for pranayama. So asana is practiced first. And something that comes up for almost everybody, when they stay in postures, they start to shake. And that has a Sanskrit term. It's called Anga Majayatva. Anga Majayatva. It's when it's Anga is the limb and Majayatva is the shaking. It's translated as shaking of the limbs. And when the limbs start to shake in an asana, it's indication that the peripheral nerves are not strong. So when the peripheral nerves are seen as being weak, the student is not ready for pranayama. Because pranayama takes and elevates the energy. Mm. So you use the breath to increase the energy in the body. So you have a store to communicate, to extend into the tips of the fingers and the tips of the toes, first of all. But you, you, have res you build residual energy so that you could... fulfill tasks that you have in your everyday life. So one needs to practice standing poses. One needs to practice Surya Namaskar. 
One needs to practice the sitting poses, the back bends, the arm balances, to prepare the nervous system so that it can withstand the increase of energy in the body that happens through seated pranayama or even lying down pranayama. So I think it's, it's an amazing practice, pranayama, and it's really um, been tremendously fulfilling because it's the gateway into the subtle body. But, and you get to see more of yourself from stepping from the practice of asana to the practice of pranayama. But one needs to prepare the environment with asanas, with the postures, to have the ability to practice pranayama. Mm. So with the cultivation of our prana elevating in our lives with uh, tagging that into how yoga works, no matter the system we're practicing, into it being a spiritual path, how have you found this to be an effective means to cope with life? Well, I react a lot less. You know, I used to be able to be triggered much more. Now it's usually just close family that triggers me. We're out in the world. It's not... I'm not as easily triggered by being here in India, the rickshaw driver or the traffic. It's, you know, as much as I, I remember the first trips to India, the frustration that I would have in trying to ask a rickshaw driver to take me around the corner, you know, and not know how to say I want to go to Lakshmi Puram or I want to go to Deccan depending on whether I was in Pune or in Mysore and so I would get very frustrated and try to do anything I could to figure out how to communicate and usually it was just yelling English louder and <laughs> being a pretty obnoxious individual and now it's like you know I, I kind of laugh at myself when I see the stuff starting to bubble and find a kind way to say the directions or whatever it is that um, I need to communicate with, with the drivers. But, um, you know, it's, it's a process that takes place. It, you know, what is spirituality? It's being kind. And out in the world, the practice of asanas has taught me to be kinder with myself because, as we know, humans have a tendency to be our own worst critic. We are very critical of ourselves. And we come with that tendency. So spiritual evolution is learning how to be kind to ourself first because we come with these self-limiting, self-defeating tendencies of our mind. And when we're in these asanas, that really bubbles up. Mm. 
Especially we, when we stay. When we stay, it really, you know, even when we're moving from posture to posture, like we do in vinyasa yoga. But now, my practice is more in staying in the pose and really letting everything come up. You know, in vinyasa yoga, I, find, I found that stuff would surface my mind was so focused on what I was doing in moving from pose to pose that there wasn't a lot coming up for me through the practice. But later on in the day, it would bubble. Hmm. And then I was stuck with it and I didn't really know how to deal with it. You know, you find a lot of people leaving yoga class and having fights with their partner, which had no, nothing to do with what, what was coming up from themselves. And that would happen with me as well. And now I get into poses and I stay in poses. And I watch the emotions that come up that have nothing to do with anybody else, but the way I'm interacting with the posture, how the muscles are opening, how the breath is moving what's going on in the pose. So, and then, I have the focus of relaxing. And the ability to actually let go of what it is that is bubbling as it's bubbling, rather than trying to deal with it later, which happened to me for many years, now, I'm watching it bubble, acknowledging what it is that's coming up, and using a conscious effort in letting it go and relaxing. Finding comfort is what I call it. It's, you know, we get into a pose, and not all poses are comfortable, physically, mentally, or emotionally. And if you stay in that discomfort and actively search for comfort, and you find it, then you've, letting, then you've let go of the discomfort. And that process teaches you so much about yourself, and how to be a kinder person. So it's very clear that you've sat with this in your own experience, watching your patterns and watching what's bubbling up to allow you to, at this point, teach this work. Yeah, I, I, I love teaching yoga. I, because yoga healed me. I want to help people find a means to heal themselves. And because yoga healed me and continues to heal me on a daily basis, I love to share that healing that I experienced through yoga. Whether it be a physical healing, a mental healing, an emotional healing, I, I have found benefit in all of those areas in my body. And that brings us to spirit. Because spirit is healthy, you know, to, you know, it's said that 
you can't practice yoga if you're sick. I disagree. I think that yoga can serve everybody. And you don't have to be physically fit to practice yoga. But being sick is very distracting. So to focus on the limitations first and build a healthy body is part of the evolution of yoga. That's how it evolves. To address your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your challenges, and then to take that with you once you've overcome those into your daily practice, as you strengthen the nervous system, as you strengthen the physical body, as you move through the sheaths, so to speak. The first sheath is Anamaya Kosha, and that is the dense physical body. So let's heal that first. And then the next sheath, sheath is Pranamaya Kosha. That is the energetic sheath. And so, and so on and so forth. You, it's like peeling back an onion. You start with that hard, brittle surface, which is maybe the stiffness in the body. And as you go in deeper and deeper, the body starts to get softer and softer, and you have the ability to go through all the sheaths of your being to find the samadhi, what mm. they say, peace, comfort, mm. total comfort, completely at ease with yourself and the world. And eventually you focus on concentration and it's concentration that gives you the ability to merge with the object of concentration and it's that relationship that blends into absorption which is the description of samadhi is being fully absorbed in that which we're looking at. So you go from a dualistic perspective to oneness where you feel one with all of life and all of humanity and the people that you're interacting with. Mm. So, working with your experience and getting to heal yourself as you're continually healed, healing more and more each day, how has the sense of peace that arises for us, or perhaps for you, speaking your own experience, the peace that has arisen for you, how has that spilled into other facets of life? And like, what are some examples of how the peace of yoga has, has come into other parts of your life? Well, I'm raising teenagers. And, you know, it's... <laughs> it's it's a blessing. It's such a blessing to interact with these kids that are my offspring and to, in a peaceful way, try to help them with their challenges instead of reacting 
to them, I find myself more as a mentor, as they're open to my mentorship. Some, you know, sometimes our children are not very open to us and they are seeking to protect themselves and find their individuality in their teenage years. And so, but as they become more mature, they become more open and I'm finding myself to be very much a mentor to both my kids. And it's really interesting where I was seeing them react to my suggestions just a few years ago. Now, um, they're considering my suggestions and trying to use the what life has shown me as um, a way to deal with challenging circumstances, uh, they're starting to take on some of the suggestions that I might come up with so that their challenges are easy. Easier. You know, life is challenging. You know, the first noble truth, in life there is suffering. What's great about yoga is the practice of yoga removes future suffering, which is a sutra. And that's, that's what I'm finding in my life, that it's easier for me to be a parent because of my practice than it was last year, the year before that, the year before that. Every, every year gets a little easier. And my relationships with my kids are more loving than they were. You know, so, which I, I'm so thankful. And I thank yoga for that. It's, it's, it's the path that I'm on, for sure. I've, and it, you know, not only did it give me a physical healing, I find that my mind functions more clearly because of my yoga. My emotions are more smooth because of my yoga. And it's not like, I don't feel like I've arrived anywhere, but I continue, I continue to show up to the practice. And the practice continues to show up for me as I continue to dedicate myself to the practice. You know, when I was... I didn't start practicing pranayama for many years. I just practiced asana. And at a certain point, it was like, okay. I felt motivated to practice pranayama. And that's taking me into a much deeper place. It's leading me to feel that union that I was talking about. From going from a dualistic perspective to more of a harmonious experience mm. with life. Mm. You know, I am you and you are me. 
and feeling that because I've actually been able to merge in the asanas, in the pranayama, with the postures, with the breath. When you're fully absorbed, you're in it. You're not watching it anymore. You know, at first you start trying to move the big toe and it doesn't move and then you finally get it to start to twitch and all of a sudden, you know, you can spread your toes and wow, that's really exciting. Like I've arrived somewhere. But at a certain point, you're in it. You're not watching it. You're fully in it. You're not distracted. You're not able to be distracted. It's like when you are in a pranayama practice and you hear the letter from the postman drop into the box. And, you know, where a few years ago I might say, man, I should go read that letter. I could do this pranayama later. It's, you hear the letter drop into the box, but you're so one with the practice that the mind doesn't even consider leaving the practice to go read the letter because you're fully in it. That's evolution. It's exciting. I, I, and I'm sure there's more that I'm going to see from my practice as I continue to watch hmm. both the asanas and the pranayamas. So for me, what, just to reflect onto that a little more, pranayama practice is perhaps a sitting still meditation practice. And uh, minutes in, we hear across the room the ding of a phone going off. Right, it's the same thing. Who, who was that? <laughs> oh. Who was that call for? From? Yeah. You know, or was that an important message? Do I need to answer this? And all the places that our mind can take us, mm. which are distracted, you know, it breaks the concentration. And, you know, there is a point, if you continue to practice, where the concentration no longer can be broken, where you're in it. And, you know, that might be a definition of samadhi. You know, they say samadhi is bliss. I don't feel like I am continually in bliss. I don't know that. I have moments that are blissful and maybe samadhi comes and goes. I'm not so completely sure. They say that there's a point when you reach and you stay there. Well, I don't feel like I have, but <laughs> I've definitely tasted it, and it's certainly mm. wonderful. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Segwaying a little bit more, what is it to be a yoga student, a student of the subject of yoga? Well, you know, you could put your mind in a place where you want to learn. 
what yoga is. And that's the beginning of the path. It gets you in the door. And then you start to play with the asanas and they're fun. They're fun to play with. I found them fun. And then all of a sudden something comes up that could be described as a commitment where if you don't practice something's missing and that's when you're really a, I believe a student of yoga where you're when you start to miss when there's when you're aware that the practice hasn't happened and you feel a void then there's a full commitment in the practice and wherever it takes you it takes you you know but you can tell that oh i missed my asana practice today because something is missing that's where you know all of them are stages of being a student so to speak you know i think the best place to start being a student is by finding a teacher you know you find someone that you can have fun with in practicing the poses someone that you trust and you know the the commitment gets stronger and stronger and stronger and then you realize that it's not necessarily going to class that makes you a student but it's going to your practice that makes you a real student of yoga not that i've always studied with teachers but i've oh, from the beginning i was lucky enough to have teachers that encouraged a personal practice you know i see people with their mat on their back and they say i'm going to practice and really they're going to study mm. studying yoga and practicing yoga are very two different things when you study yoga you're studying with a teacher and they're they're sharing their experience of yoga with you hopefully from their personal practice sometimes people teach yoga without even having a personal practice they just study and then they share what they've studied and there's something amiss there because you don't learn about yourself as much in the class as you do in the practice so there's lots of different levels in being a student of yoga and they're all fun they're all fine mm. thank you for offering that for us to check in with i think that that's exactly what it is it's a good check in with where, where am i where am i in my study where am i in my practice okay i've been studying a lot and to go and practice what would be three 
tips that you would offer to our listeners who have gone to class a lot to go home and practice what they've studied? Three tips. Unroll your mat. <laughs> At home. <laughs> Try to remember what you experienced in class and then experiment and explore what that is that you think you remember from class. It, your memory might not be accurate. Be willing to experiment with yourself. How does this work for me? What, what, what was that teacher trying to communicate through this posture? Sometimes we remember what a teacher says. Sometimes we remember the physical experience of being in a posture. All of it is good, but taking it to your mat that is unrolled in your room is what's important. And that's a hard transition. Many of us get addicted to the classroom experience. And the only time the mat gets rolled out is when we go to class. But I think we're selling ourselves short. There's a wealth of information that you can only access on your mat once it's rolled out in your bedroom or your living room. Hmm. That's big. I, 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 the difference to me was night and day. I went to class three times a week the first year I, I studied yoga. But I practiced at home because I was in university and I would get into the seats that were challenging to read. Instead of sitting on the couch to read a book, I would sit in Bhattakanasana or Virasana or Upavishtakanasana. Those were the first three poses that I studied, uh, that I practiced, I mean. I, I studied as a practitioner, was Virasana, Bhattakanasana, and Upavishtakanasana. Those three seats I studied anatomy in. And it, studying anatomy in those postures kept me in the postures longer. And all of a sudden I'd realize, wow, my foot's falling asleep. What's going on? What's this rotation? What's that rotation? Ooh, my knee doesn't feel so good doing it that deep. Maybe I should put a little more under my butt and pick this up so there's no pressure on my knee. And even though I was reading books and studying subjects at the university, I was still gaining tremendous insights from the asanas. You know, some people practice while they're watching television, which is a little crazy, but I actually know it. Am I really going to say this on a podcast? <laughs> I know a teacher that turns her frickin' television upside down and does headstand to the news. She The news is a half hour long. She does a half hour headstand every day. She turned her TV upside down so she could stay for a half hour. Unbelievable. But there it is. There's lots of different approaches and, you know, it takes all kinds. Wow. Wow. Well, I think that we have some pretty profound takeaways for 
uh, our listeners to look to retain and integrate. And um, that's huge. So July 2017, we're adding a new number into the year sequence. We're exiting the six and we're going to seven. I'm really excited about that. Seven's a lucky number. Can you tell us about this training in Maui that you are offering an intensive? Well, it's, um, it's a 200-hour training. It's one month. I um, believe that there's a discount being offered for that training right now. I have to read it because I'm not exactly sure what it is. It's being offered until January 15th for $2,500. And then if you sign up from January 15th to April 15th, it's $3,000. And after that, it's $4,000. And what you get from that four-week training is an exploration of yourself. We're going to do lots of different kinds of yoga. We're going to um, do a lot of supported work. I'm going to be teaching Kriyas. I'm going to be teaching Mudras. I'm going to be teaching Asanas. I'm going to be teaching Pranayamas. So through all of those different techniques in yoga, we're going to also include meditation. We're going to have an opportunity to explore our own individual selves as well as how to apply this to our students. It's going to include anatomy. It's going to include many different milestones that you come across when you practice, I'm going to teach people how to deal with the stiffer body, the more flexible body, how to deal with ailments in yoga. It's going to be a pretty full training and because of that, it's going to be eight to nine hours a day and we're going to dive in deep. So right now, it's a considerable discount. You can take a one-month teacher training for 2500 bucks. That's awesome. I'm really happy to be able to offer that discount. But even at $4,000, it's going to be well, well worth it. Well, Eddie, I am feeling so blessed to have met you and cultivated a very strong student-teacher relationship as well as a friendship and a eye-to-eye connection of human being that you've allowed me to see you through and how I've felt seen by a full-scale body mirror that pierces the depths of my soul. Well, you're doing great work, (laughs) and it's really great to... I love encouraging students to further their exploration of the practice so that we can all continue to grow. And that's how we do it. We support each other Mm. in this practice. Keep studying. Thank you. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for checking in and tuning in to Eddie Modestini. And I will see you on Maui, I hope. Namaste. Thank you, Eddie. Namaste.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. If you feel inclined to join Eddie on Maui this July 2017 for a not-to-miss teacher's intensive, go to eddiemodestini.com or email yoga at eddiemodestini.com. Dive deep into your practice with a humble and masterful yogi who is also on his path to self-discovery. Stay tuned for the next episode of Yoga Revealed with Sri H.S. Arun, one of India's most senior and credited yoga teachers. Lately, many of you have been sending us messages expressing your heartfelt gratitude for the podcast over the past year, and we hear you. All 180,000 subscribers, wow! Andrew and I reflect our deep, undying gratitude for your support as we strive to bring you the best. If you have questions about yoga that you want us to ask, always feel free to reach out to us. Let's continue to shine bright and be the example of interconnectedness that we originate from. The world needs strong yogis more than ever. Stay positive, stay grounded, and be true to yourself. Love life, my friends. Until next time, namaste. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.